Welcome to week two of our series called Don't Worry. So, real simple point I want you to get. Okay, here it is. Don't worry. Two words, powerful sentence that will change your life. Today we're going to be in Mark chapter 4. If you have a Bible or got a Bible app handy, I hope you open it up and follow along with us this morning. Because we're going to read about somebody who sleeps very, very deeply. You may know one of those people who sleeps through pretty much anything. They've slept through earthquakes, or they slept through the space shuttle taking off five miles away, or they're the kind of person that uh, you can get up out of bed, if it, it might be your spouse, and you get up and you knock a glass over and it breaks on the ground and they don't even move. Somebody who just sleeps that soundly. Well, there's a young man, I want to introduce you to him. His name's Douglas Spedden. He and his family decided that they were going to take the dream cruise of a lifetime. And after a day aboard the ship, he was so tired that he went down for the night the caretaker that was kind of watching him while his parents went out and had a good time on the cruise uh, sat there with him. All of a sudden, the ship shook. It hit an iceberg, as it turned out. The ship was called the Titanic. Anyways, Douglas, at the ripe old age of nine, didn't move. And as the ship began to fill with water, he still didn't move. Eventually, the caretaker came, got him out of bed, and they take him, very sleepy with his, with his, his teddy bear with him, and they put him, he's rubbing the sleep out of his eyes, they put him on the lifeboat out into the raft and out into the ocean he goes while the ship that he was just on sinks. And the caretaker tells him, just look at the stars. And so Douglas takes his gaze, points it to the stars, and falls asleep immediately where he stays pretty much the rest of the time until they were rescued. Now that is something I envy. Maybe like me, you don't sleep particularly well every single night. And not, for me, it's not because I'm worried all the time, but sometimes it is. I want you to think about what it looks like, not just to sleep, we use the, the phrase sleep like a baby or sleep like Douglas Spedden. How about this one? I'd like to learn to sleep like Jesus. What's that like? Well, in Mark chapter 4, uh, we have a particular day at hand where Jesus and his disciples want to go from one side of the lake to the other lake. Uh, other side of the lake. And, and here's what happens. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and they said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up, he rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified, and they asked each other, Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Well, it's an interesting little story about sound sleep. Here's our Savior. He's down in the stern of the boat. You have these apostles of his, some of whom were professional fishermen who had been out on that lake a jillion times. They knew that it probably had a predisposition for storms popping up uh, at inopportune times. But I want us to take a look at the little dialogue that goes back and forth and maybe unpack some things that will help us today as we struggle with our own worry, maybe even our own sleep. The first is this. Most storms appear very suddenly, and they happen to everyone. Even Jesus' boat got rocked. Now, 
you're gonna, we're going to compare him and his response to that of the disciples. But keep in mind that these were, again, probably very professional fishermen. They'd been on, out on that lake or some lake many, many times. They knew how to recognize a storm. They knew when a boat was likely to capsize, probably, because there was so much water coming overboard. But they're panicked. He's asleep. Now, what, what I would notice about this text is that that ability to recognize a storm in advance is something that they would have had. So you have to think that they didn't say, oh, hey, there's a storm going over, that, that the storm came up suddenly. And if it comes up suddenly, then maybe we need to learn from that that not every storm that we face is going to be, you know, it's not going to show up with an advertisement. We're not going to get something in the mail saying disaster coming your way in six weeks from now. Uh, we're not going to get an advertisement. There's not going to be any skywriting. But sometimes they hit you. You, you thought it was going to be a totally normal day, and it turns out not to be that at all. It's a day that's going to change the course of your life in a way that makes you worried. I want to encourage us to just recognize the fact that a lot of storms actually appear suddenly, and they do appear to everyone, even Jesus himself. But the big difference is in how we respond to it. And a lot of how we respond in that moment has to do with who we are before the storm comes. Storms aren't... aren't always us at our worst. It doesn't always just pull the worst out of us. Sometimes they make us more of who we already are. So it shows how much of my faith I really have. Uh, how much do I actually trust God? How angry am I actually on the inside? How worried am I on the inside? So this is shown in the life of the apostles during this storm as they collectively flip out and they go find Jesus. And the expression is funny because they just go, do you even care? Well, you know, there are a lot of things that, uh, uh, that storms bring out, and it, we think that they often bring out the worst in us. It's not necessarily the case all the time. Sometimes they bring out the best, but sometimes they just bring out what is, and they reveal it. Uh, they take what is hidden and brings it out into the light. You know, it's funny, the New York Times says that there are scientists working on the Human Genome Project, and what they discovered is a, what they believe is a worry gene. That it's a gene that you have that actually makes you predisposed to worry. I would think almost everybody in America has that gene, it seems. But I'm not making it up. It's the SLC684 gene on chromosome 17Q12. There you go. There's your book, chapter, and verse on that. Um, but, but the funny part is they say that whoever has the shorter type of that particular gene tend to be predisposed to worry. Right now, some of you are starting to worry that you might in fact have that gene. That's how we are with things, right? You can just be notified of something like that and you hadn't really considered it until somebody pointed it out to you. But now that you've thought about it, now I'm worried about it. If I walked up and told you, you know, hey, what, whatever you had for lunch, whatever it is, uh, you know, it can cause heart disease, it can make you sick, it can make you fat, it can make you whatever, that will cause you then to start the worrying process if you're an anxious person. Now there's a difference between being concerned, we talked about this last week, and being anxious. Being concerned means I recognize that there's something that, that would require action from me to, in order to honor God and what I need to do. So if I feel a heart palpitation coming on, then it's, it's concern that leads me to go ahead and make a, a doctor's appointment and go on. But worry is when that becomes toxic to my spirit. And I really begin to worry, 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 worry. I can't sleep. I don't want to eat. I, I, I fly off the handle at people all the time because I'm an anxious mess. Well... C.S. Lewis talked about this in his book, The Screwtape Letters. Screwtape Letters it should be required reading for every Christian. It's an absolutely 
uh, amazing little book. Um, it should be reread over and over and over again as many times as you care to do it. Chapter six of it is called Anxiety. And in this book, just so you know the plot of it really quick, um, it's a work of fiction in which a senior demon is working, his name is Screwtape, is trying to coach a younger demon on how to trip up somebody that he's trying to tempt. So it really is a little primer on how to, how to try and, uh, how Satan works in the lives of people to try and mess them up. And so when you hear the phrase, the enemy, and what I'm about to read, the enemy in here is God, because remember, you have a demon talking to another demon, so God's the enemy. All right, so here we go. Uh, this is what Screwtape writes to his protege, demon. He says, we want him to be in maximum uncertainty so that his mind will be filled with contradictory pictures of the future, every one of which arouses hope or fear. There is nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against the enemy. Now, remember, the enemy's God in this story. He wants men to be concerned with what they do, but our business is to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. Your patient will, of course, have picked up the notion that he must submit with patience to the enemy's will. What the enemy means by this is primarily that he should accept with patience the tribulation which has actually been dealt out to him, the present anxiety and suspense. It is about this that he is to say, thy will be done, and for the daily task of bearing this, uh, that the daily bread will be provided. But it's your business to see that he never thinks of the present fear as his appointed cross, but he only thinks of the things he's afraid of. Let him regard those as his crosses. Let him forget that since they are incompatible, they cannot all happen to him at the same time. And let them try to practice, let him try to practice fortitude and patience to them all in advance. Now again, what he's saying here is that it isn't the things we worry about that cause the anxiety, it's the anxiety itself that causes the worry. And often creates the situations that we worry about. After all, when we're not anxious, we can really handle a lot. A lot of us can handle a lot of things. God made us that way. But when we're anxious, we really can't handle much of anything in almost any area of life. Secondly, it's faith that reveals anxiety and overcomes anxiety. Notice here that what the disciples say when they wake Jesus up. They go down into the stern. Jesus is sleeping like a baby down there. They wake him up. And look at what they say. First of all, notice it's a they. We'll come back to that in a second. It's not, they don't send one guy down there. They go as a group. Then uh, they don't come and say, uh, you know, hey, boss, uh, we know you can do all things. Do you think you could quiet the storm? That would be nice. They don't. And in fact, they seem to have no clue that he's capable of doing it, or they don't believe in the moment that he's capable of doing it. How do I know that? Well, because when you read the text, it, it, at the end, the punchline is, who is this that even the winds obey him? So when they go down, they are just freaking out about this. And so his response, they go, don't you care if we drown? In, it's an invitation for him to freak out with them. Don't you care if we drown? And then Jesus asks them, do you still have no faith? Now that's something that these days we might consider a little bit rude, maybe even a little out of touch these days, because everybody that we know, or most people that we know, including ourselves, are all pretty anxious all the time. So we think if that betrays the fact that we don't have a lot of faith, then that means 
that I don't have any faith and you don't have any faith and most of the people in the world don't have any faith. So what we've done is we started to normalize anxiety when what this scripture is saying, Jesus looks at them and he goes, what does this say about your faith? Like, are, do you still have no faith? So again, faith will reveal our, our anxiety or a lack of faith will reveal it. And we will, it also is what helps us overcome that anxiety. See, Scripture would say that caring and concern is healthy. If one part of the body is suffering, for instance, Paul would say, then all parts suffer with it. There's concern there. But there's something different when anxiety creeps in. There's something that then it can become a group affair, as it does on this ship, on that day on the Sea of Galilee, where it's not just one, everybody's freaking out, and they all come down collectively and say, don't you care? Don't you care that we're all going to drown? Hmm. Anxiety is a serious problem, and it's a crippling one at that, and it often has a way of being contagious to those around us. The image that comes to my mind is of a nursery and a hospital. Maybe you've been at the hospital in the, uh, where all the babies are born, and you go in there and you notice maybe it's all quiet, and then all of a sudden one baby starts to cry. And once they do, the other ones start jumping in. We call it sympathy crying. Or maybe you've seen it at a kid's playground at some point, right? Uh, you got a bunch of toddlers playing in the same little pool. One of them bonks their head or whatever. They look around to see if anybody else saw it. And then all of a sudden the pain starts sinking in and then they start to kind of tear up and start crying. And then you can see it travel through that group of toddlers like a, like a, like a quick little uh, disease or something. It just goes from person to person to person to person until everybody there is all upset. Uh, you can watch the guy next to him kind of look nervously and he's crying and they kind of start making noise too. Ah, they don't even know what they're saying or doing. But it travels because of sympathy. Right. So when I'm anxious, like maybe Peter or Andrew, whoever it was on the boat that first started to really, really, really freak out, all of a sudden everybody on the boat is now freaking out and then all of a sudden it becomes, Jesus, don't you care? So instead of it being, Jesus, we know that you're Lord of the storm. Would you mind quieting this down so we don't drown? We're afraid we might drown if you don't do something. That they're upset with him because he doesn't seem to care. And that says a lot about their faith in that moment. Misery loves company, they say. Well, so does worry. So, number three, when God is near, worry isn't. See, what makes Jesus question their faith isn't that they're worried because they're in a storm. It's that they're in the storm with him. That's why he doesn't understand why they're worried. And I have good news for you. He's with you and yours, too. So it makes them, uh, it makes Jesus kind of ask them the question about their faith. is isn't the fact that they're worried because they're in a storm. It's that they're in the storm with him. Well, he's in this, he's in with you, too, your storm. He's there with you. I remember once when I was very young, I'm going to guess maybe eight years old, I finally got a chance to go to Disneyland, and I was so excited to get to go. Now, I was a, getting to tag along with the church youth group at the time, but I was a little guy, maybe eight years old, something like that, and so I was generally told, don't get lost, don't get lost, don't get lost. Well, I got lost, and I got lost because uh, the last night, I think, of the uh, of last ride of the night was Space Mountain. And so all teens wanted to go on that, including my parents. I think I might have been either told to wait or, or something like that. But anyways, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. And as a result, I ended up somehow 
inside Space Mountain, not where the roller coaster is, but like the hallways and bathrooms and all that stuff right there. Um, and uh, it was closed and I couldn't get out. And I was trapped inside. Now, what happened at the time was the area I was in had one-way windows. So I can look outside and I can see my parents standing outside, but they can't see me. And I can see how worried they are, but they can't see me. And I could bang on the glass and I could, I was like, hey, here I am, you know, don't you, you know, come get me. I'm, I, you know, I won't get lost again, I promise. I started thinking all of these types of things and trying to say it, banging on the windows, looked around for workers, no workers, not even a guy vacuuming the floor, nothing. But I remember the feeling of standing there and the feeling it is when you feel like I am right here, but I don't think you see me. And that, if you could just see me, pay attention, I'm right here, come get me, right? That anxiety producing event. And then watching my parents on the other side of the glass, not being able to see me, even though I'm actually right there. Okay, and how frenetically they were looking for me at the same time. When you go through a storm, you're likely to find, depending on the storm, your side on one or other side of that glass. There are gonna be times where you find yourself looking around, where is God? I don't know where he is. And the answer to that is he's right there in the stern sleeping, he's there. He's there. It may feel like you don't know where he is, but he's never far. He's never far. Or you can be on the other side of the glass wondering if he sees you. Hey, do you, do you see what's happening here? This is kind of what the apostles experience on the boat. Hey, don't you see me? Don't you see me? Don't you care that we're all going to drown, right? That's the, I'm behind the glass, and I don't feel like I can talk to you, or I, you're not going to hear me. Okay. See, what they do here is in the eyes of Jesus. It's not irresponsible or, or lacking in faith because they're worried because there are waves pouring over the side of the boat. That's normal. But what he's trying to help them understand is, look, I'm on the boat with you. You have nothing to be afraid of. When I'm near, you don't have anything to worry about because I'm the Lord of the storm. I'm the one that tells the sun when to go up and go down. I'm the one that can tell the storm to shut up and it listens. It doesn't even talk back. That's who I am. And so, no, I'm not going to let you drown. Yes, I care. But what about your faith? What about your faith? What does your reaction to crisis say about who you think God is? That is a very, very important question, and it's something that you really only get when you're in a storm. See, I was anxious in part when I was that little dude trapped behind the glass at Disneyland. I was, I was anxious because I didn't know where my parents were. But once I saw them, once I knew they were there, I was kind of fine. I was just frustrated. And now I was worried about how they, uh, about their, the way they felt in the middle of all of that. But they couldn't see me, even though I was right there. I think a lot of times we feel frustrated. We feel uh, like maybe God doesn't see us. We feel lost or trapped or something like that when we're in a storm. We feel like the apostles did on that boat. And we wonder, is God just going to sleep through this whole thing I'm going through? And the answer is no. No, he's not going to. He never has. He never will. And so what Jesus says to them here is echoed in Psalm 94. I love this text. The psalmist says, If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would have soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips... Your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. And I love this last verse. When the cares of my heart are many, 
Your consolations cheer my soul. So again, it's his peace be still that gives our heart consolation. When God is near, worry is not. Lastly, Jesus is Lord over every single storm. His question, who is this, or their question, who is this one that even the winds obey? The answer is, his name is Jesus. The one that spoke this world into being. The word made flesh. The one who is the master of the storm. So that question there, who is it? He's got a name. His name is Jesus. And because of him, we don't necessarily ever, ever, ever need to be afraid. I want you to think for just a second, those of you who are not terrified to death of flying. I'm talking to those of you who fly all the time. I want you to think about how absurd it is that you fly. You're getting into an airplane that you did not see built. Uh, You're getting in with a bunch of strangers that you don't know. You're paying a lot of money to do it usually. You get in there and then you go at hundreds of miles an hour with nothing but the wind underneath you in a glorified large aluminum can. And you fly from one side of the country all the way to the other side, okay? And you do it without even thinking twice. You're not really worried about safety. Those of us who fly a lot, it's kind of like, hey, you know, I'll be there, there, you know. It's a lot better than a cross-country road trip. And then we try to rationalize it, sounding like it makes sense by saying, well, you're more likely to get hurt in a car wreck on the way there than you are in in an airplane flight. Nah, okay, fine. But think about the difference between being in a flying car driven by somebody else versus you driving your own car. There's a feeling of control that comes in there. And here's why I don't worry. Because I trust the pilot. Do I know him personally? I do not. But I know in order to become a pilot, he had to do this, 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 this. And so I trust a person I don't even know to drive a plane I didn't see built full of people I don't know, and I'm putting my life in that person's hands. And the question would be, why in the world would I have a hard time trusting God, who has been with me every step of the way, who has shown me over and over and over again his faithfulness and his compassion and his love for me, not just through the giving of Jesus for my sins and and the Holy Spirit to guide me in my life, but just all the time. I could go back and just recite count after count after count of, of him uh, demonstrating his love and faithfulness to me. And then when, the, when it starts to go in turbulence in, in an airplane, you know, I kind of don't worry about it very much. But turbulence in life, all of a sudden, I have a tendency to do some of what you see the apostles doing here. The root question of this story is, do you trust the pilot? The pilot's name is Jesus in this case. And so Jesus questioned to them, uh, do you still have no faith is one I want you to let sink in a little bit today. It's an important one because that's the question that anxiety poses. What is it that when we're really scared or really worried, who do we become? And what does that say about our faith, about what we believe about God and Jesus? We are a worried, worried, worried people. In 2019, this was the most underlined verse in all of the Bible on the YouVersion Bible app. And I want to read it to you this morning. It's a good word. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, 
by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the peace of God is something you live in. It's not something you like take like medicine. It's a place you live. The peace of God is around you and guarding you, your heart and your mind, standing guard over you. Now you think, okay, yeah, we are worried this year. Well, let's go back to 2018. 2018, the most underlined verse was this one, Isaiah 41, verse 10. So do not fear. You sense a theme here? For I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We don't need to be anxious. We don't need to be the kid or the parent on one side of the glass or the other because no glass can stand between us because he is Lord of the storm. So whatever you're going through or whatever you might go through, your life might be just going along with, with uh, you know, hummingbirds and puppy dogs and unicorns flying everywhere because it's going so great right now. If so, God bless you. There will be a storm at some point. And when that storm comes, I want you to hear these words again. Don't worry. Don't worry. And the reason isn't just because nothing in life matters. No, it's because of who is with us. It's because of who's in the boat with us. And so because of that, we don't worry. We're going to gather around the Lord's table now and do something we call communion. It's a time when we take the bread, which represents the body of Christ, and the cup that represents the blood of Christ. And we gather together, and we take those together in unison with Christians all around the globe. It's a way of remembering Jesus. And so today I want you to remember that event there on the boat. And if your boat is rocking around right now because you're facing one of life's biggest storms or where you're depressed or you're sad or you're discouraged, or maybe your life right now feels pretty good then, and you just want to be thankful that you know when a storm comes for you that you've got Jesus right there with you to rebuke the storm and to say, peace be still. Hear him say it to you today. Peace be still. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, it's great with great love and, uh, and great hearts of gratitude today, Father, that we come and we say thank you for making us people who don't need to worry, that we can cast all of our anxiety on you because you care for us, that we don't even need to doubt ever, not even for a single second, whether or not you care if we drown. You've shown us most clearly in Jesus that you don't just care, but that you take action on our behalf and you protect us and you give us the victory by the power of his blood. And so now, Father, we celebrate that moment with bread and cup, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.